Last week, we talked about the power of the white male voice, and Pastor Mel talked about the history and strength displayed by black people. We also talked about the effectiveness of communicating a message and whether we should preach and teach to congregations on a third or fourth grade level or at the peak of our academic experience. This week, the call to missions, walking in the calling and calling others to missions. Tweet and post using the hashtag PastorJDO3 or JDO3 Podcast. And now, part two of Made for Missions with Pastor Mel Perry. One of the things that you said is um, the church has not been meeting the needs of people. Uh, is that one of the things that inspired you to become a missionary? Or did you just kind of grow up with that as a backdrop and you just continue doing what you were taught? No, um, missions for me was something, I was about nine years old. Um, I, I come out of a ministry, it's very missions minded. And my parents did a lot of missions work. They traveled um, a lot overseas, South America, um, the Caribbean, Europe, Asia, and then later into Africa. Um, so I think I was about nine years old and we were having a missions service. And I want to say that the person, this was before India kicked out all of the missionaries. So we were having a mission service and it was in that service, I could feel God saying, this is what I've called you to do. And I knew he called me to the continent of Africa. I've preached elsewhere, but I knew that was the call, like Africa is your call. And I remember I would go in my father's office and he had this globe that you could spin around and it set up off the ground and you could um, turn the light on and you could just see it. And I would spin the globe around and I would say, okay, God, where in Africa have you called me? Cause I'm, you know, I'm young, I'm a kid and into my teen years. I'm like, where have you called me? And every time I would, I would always hit the continent of Africa when I would hit but it would always be somewhere different. And it was like, okay, God, is there not a specific place? Because I was seeing these missionaries who were coming to our ministry. Um, some of them would stay in our homes. Um, we came out of a missions-minded organization. I grew up in the United Pentecostal Church. And so while it had a lot of its flaws, and we can even talk about its flaws with racism, even in missions work, um, it was very missions-oriented. And so our um, our congregation at one point was number two in missions giving for the whole of the organization. And our mother church, which was um, at the time it was off of Broadway, it was called Life Tabernacle. They were number one. Um, so that kind of put us on the status. And my parents were very well known in the organization. So we would people would say, oh, you have to go to the parish church. You have to go to their church. Um, even though the, the organization is predominantly white, we were known because my dad was an evangelist before becoming a pastor and we pastored in Fort Worth. But the old school evangelist, you know, when your whole family in the car and you go from place to place, yeah. you don't have a home and you're you're totally dependent on God. There's no first class um, you know, airfare, yeah. there's no hotel. Um, and I can I can tell you about racism from that perspective, but um we always had missionaries in our home. Either they were staying with us or we sometimes would put them in um, a hotel. 
um, very seldom was that the case, unless if they had a big family, but we would have them here. So it was just always there, you know, like, okay, I, I'm a missions-minded person. And I would tell people in our congregation, God has called me to Africa. And this is in the 80s. And people would say, oh God, you don't want to go to Africa. And you know, uh-uh, because Africans run around ain't naked and they do this. And, you know, National Geographic yeah, had all wonderful, beautiful, <laughs> horrible pictures. They were colorful and beautifully taken, but they were yeah. horrible stories of, of our people. And um, I would tell them, I said, no, God's calling me, God's calling me. They're like, you don't want to go? And I was like, God called me. God called me. And then they would always say, you're going to get married. And I was like, no, I just want to do missions work. I'm, I'm just called to do missions. I just want to do missions work. And so one day I was um, 15 years old. It was 1990. And my dad came up the steps and he says, uh, man, I mean, I need to talk to you. And so I came and he was like, uh, but he's like, well, I want to ask you a question. He said, first, do you still feel that God has called you to do missions work? And I said, well, yes, sir. Yes, sir. You know, like, okay, I don't know what he's going to ask me, but yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yeah. And he, well, we have an opportunity to go to Liberia. Would you like to go? And I was like, yes. Yeah. I'm like, when? And he's like, well, it's going to be in January, but we'll um, talk to the principal and see if we can get you out of school because this will be a learning experience so we can work that in. I was like, okay, good deal. And then about two months prior to us, I think it was maybe like November, um, the civil war broke out. And my dad came and he says, well, my parents have never, they never said this statement to me, but this one time as a teenager, my dad came up and said, he says, well, I want to ask you another question. I want to ask you a question about our trip. He says, now you make your decision. You're, you're old enough to make your own decision. Never heard my parents say I was old enough mm -hmm. to make another decision after that yeah, point. That was I feel like I had to be old enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he said, um, now your mother doesn't want, want us to go, but um, there's a war going on. Would you, do you want to go or do you want to postpone the trip? And I thought to myself, if there's a war going on in Africa, it's not about the end soon. And this is probably my only chance to go. I said, no, let's go. I, I want to go. I want to go. And he said, okay, we'll go. And we went to Liberia, um, 19, I think it was 1990, January 1990. And we went for two weeks and it was very interesting. Um, I was sick for a whole week. I had cholera the second week. And I don't know if you know what cholera does. It basically, basically it dehydrates you until you die. Ugh. So you basically dehydrate to death. Um, and it, you, you have diarrhea. So that's where you're losing all your fluid. Yeah. And so uh, I had eaten something and I was the only one who got sick. I have no idea. And I took a cholera shot, right? And I, I mean, I got to the point at the end of the week, I was so sick. We're in service. I couldn't eat anything. Everyone, I would watch everyone else eat because every time I would eat, it would just pass right through me. So all I could do was drink fluids. I would eat like Lebanese bread. And my dad, thank God, he had brought over in his suitcase um, some Del Monte fruit cups mm. and some cheese crackers. And those were like the only thing that I could get into my system and hold for a while. And so I'm watching everybody else eat. We're walking through the jungle for like three, four hours. I'm tired. It's hot. Um, and I'm just like, oh, my God. Sunday morning, the second, I think it was the second Sunday morning, we're in service. And I'm literally fall, falling over. Mm. I can't sit up because my body is so weak. I'm seeing blue and green and red. And 
my my temperature I could feel the temperature keep going up and down and I mean I would get like so cold and my body was just shaking so I told my friend I can't sit up in church and it's making me miserable let's go out to the car so I make my way out to the car and I'm laid out in the back seat and I'm thinking oh god this is it my mom is nowhere around <laughs> And I'm about to die. Every child wants to die with their mom clothes. I mean, my mom is right here, you know? And it dawned on me, like, okay, if I were at home, what would I have done? As a kid, whenever I was sick, I always went to my mom and like, mom, pray for me. I never went to my dad. I don't know why, but I would always say to my mom, pray. And my mom would pray. So I said to my friend, I said, go get your mom. And her mother was from Ethiopia. Her father was um, African-American who had been in the service and he met her but he looked every bit of West African. Um, so I said, go get your mom, because I knew she was a praying woman. And I said, go tell her, it's not looking good. I can't sit up, I, I, my body is shaking and all this. And she came out, and I don't know if you've seen Ethiopians, but they bounce when they do stuff, when they're doing their religious, it's just something about them. So she was bouncing and praying. I could see her because I was, my head was laid back and I'm looking at her and she was just praying and she's praying. And she said, all right, in Jesus name, it's already done. And I'm thinking like a whole week I've endured this. Why didn't I think about this? When they got out of the, out of the service, I was sitting up in the back seat, laughing, talking. And I was like, oh my goodness, I could have been enjoying food. If I had asked oh, this lady cool. to pray for me, you know, yeah. here I am about to die. Yeah. And, um, and I mean, this family went through the war. They literally had to live on the floor. They had to crawl on their bellies because of what was going on. But it was just an interesting experience being there, you know, reading the paper about, you know, where the people were, how close they were, where we couldn't go, we had to bribe people, you know, and so forth. And so when I got home, I had lost so much weight. I wore a size eight and a half when I left. I've talked to people and they said, this is medically impossible. And I said, you know what? Talk to my mom. I wore a size eight and a half when I left. I wear a size eight now. I had lost so much weight. My mom looked at me and screamed, oh my God, what happened to my child? And I was like, oh my goodness, mom. I had the best time in the world. I was like, I even got sick for a whole weekend. I thought I was gonna die. And, And the missionary wife prayed for me. And I was hooked and people were like, I bet you won't go to Africa now. And I was like, oh my goodness, I'm in love. I'm in love. And that was the first time I went and it would be many years. Um, That was 1990. The next time I went was 2003. But after that, it was just a continual thing for me. And I, I have loved it. I love the good, the bad, what is uncomfortable. I know what it is to have to squat over a hole and use the bathroom. Um, I've gotten sick a second time with the same thing. And, and this time I knew like, okay, just keep fluids in your body. Don't, you don't need to eat anything, just fluids, fluids, fluids. Um, but it's, it's just become a part of my life. They're family to me. Um, I always say Kenya is my heart. South Africa is my family. Kenya is my culture and heritage. And South Africa is the relationships. And I've been blessed to visit several of the East African countries and uh, to go to South Africa and uh, Namibia. So I've just, I've just been blessed. Well, what is it, what is it like for you uh, to hear us Americans? Oh, it's a pandemic. Oh, we're gonna struggle. Oh, I can't get my <laughs> Starbucks. Oh, 
the grocery store. Oh, oh. <laughs> After you've been on a mission trip, don't you just look like, this ain't struggling. <laughs> no, you know, and it's funny because there are certain things I think where we are worse off in this country as black people. And then there are times when I think we are way better off than we can imagine. You know, and I tell people all the time when I take a shower, I'm, I am so grateful almost every time I take a shower because I know what it is to take a shower out of a dirty bucket with bugs and everything in it. And I can't ask the people, you know, can you clean this bucket? Because the water to clean it is what it's precious to them. They don't have water to waste and clean the bucket out. (laughs) So I can't take it. They have a a three mile hike, whereas we just. And and even even if they don't have to go far, if they have, because they'll have like towers on top of the building, but they have to pay for that water. Wow. Um, And then sometimes there's nowhere, you can't even walk to get water because it's a drought. So there's, I've been in places where they told me for three months they weren't able to bathe. Wow. Trust me, I'm dying because I'm yeah. like, oh, no, no, yeah. you know, at least twice a day. You know? yeah, yeah. And I'm sitting in a car with them and they like, and I'm we have to roll the windows up because there's no turmeric roads. It's just dirt. And we're way up in the highlands where people don't go and uh, up in the upcountry. And we have to roll the windows up. And I'm like, Jesus, I need you to be a nose plug right now. Okay. Wow. <laughs> I'm suffocating, you know, but they have. They have family. And and I saw a video the other day and it says that the black man in America is way better off than the African. And I thought, first of all, it was a white person who posted that. Yeah, I was going to say. And it was a white person who has very little interaction with the black community. So you don't get to you don't get to, you know, repost. And And I think as black people, we have to be careful when we're engaging each other, especially with social media now. Mm-hmm. Back in the day, we could do these kind of things and we could chastise each other because it pretty much is gonna come on C-SPAN or BET. But now it's available on YouTube, it's on Facebook, you know, it's on Twitter, it's on Instagram, it's on all these things. So white people can post it as well. Yeah. And they use it as a weapon against us. But I thought about it and I said, you know, in certain ways, yes, but in a lot of ways, no. Yeah. Because how many black people do we know who own land? I mean, like yeah. really own, not not your house. Mm-hmm. I mean, you own extensive land. Yeah. Or you can you can have cattle and you can have you can grow your gardens or, you know, black people don't have that. And then even in this country, if you own the land, don't pay your taxes and see how much you own. Oh yeah. You know, but over there, people own their land. And land is far more precious than me being able to run up debt. Yes. You know, in this country, yeah, the black man has it good because you can run up debt. You can, you can, you know, go and and spend your whole paycheck on something you really can't afford, but you have to have it. And then you want to buy the nicer vehicle as opposed to the one you can't afford. You know, so it's not always that it's better. It's just like how do you compare? And I said to the person who posted, I said, well, that's just like the people who were enslaved in South America saying, well, oh, you know, um, or someone telling the, the enslaved people in South America, oh, well, you have it better than the slaves in in yeah. North America. The point is they're still enslaved, they're still enslaved yeah. you know? So neither one has it better. Yeah, the, the South American enslaved people, they did have it somewhat better. They didn't go through uh, the brutality in a way that we did, 
but they're still enslaved people. They still don't have ownership of who they are. They still don't have the equal rights. And so in many ways, trying to compare black people, you know, we're better than the African. And no, 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 no. I want you to compare me to you, yes. you know? And so even when I'm doing missions work, <clears throat> I have come across people who say, oh, I lived in the, in the States for a while but I had to come home because it, it wasn't worth it. They were, you know, they were here in the States where it's supposed to be better. And they realized it isn't better because I don't have family. And when I say you don't have family, I mean that if I fall on hard times here in the States, you can't really count on family to bail you out or yeah. community. We don't yeah, really- they're struggling just like you're struggling. Right, and then we don't have that, that compassion that we had years ago where community took care of each other but that still exists in Africa. If you're struggling, we're gonna work this field together. We're going to help you together. You know, we don't really have that. And so I've known people who have had to leave and they were in the States for 10 or so years. And they're like, no, I have to come back to, to Kenya or wherever it is. Um, and then some people do make it, but what is better? Thank you for listening to part two of Made for Missions with Pastor Mel Perry. Next week, we invite you to continue the dialogue and join the discussion as we talk about the sense of community found on the mission field and talk about the pros and cons of living in Africa and America. Tweet and post using the hashtag PastorJDO3 or JDO3 Podcast. We look forward to having future discussions with you on Pastor JDO3, the podcast.